many memories have come flooding back. I put this song on repeat, just crying my eyes out. It made me feel so bloody alive. This song really nails the feeling of nostalgia for a place. And we all just stopped talking and just stared at the radio. Like, what is that? It's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I love it. I love that song so much. of the box. Meet people through their music with Ash Bertabez on FBI. You had another wonderful morning with Alex Pye. As always, you can go back to the website and look for any of the songs that you might have heard there. But there are also some really good chats in the past hour and I'm going to go back and listen to that show all over again because there was some deep stuff going on. So I, uh, you can always listen back to shows like that and um, you can go to fbiradio.com forward slash on demand and the show will be up there within about 50 minutes of the hour that you just heard. And so on Out of the Box today, my guest is Atong Atem. Atong is an artist currently based in Melbourne, but she's moved around a lot, starting life in a refugee camp and uh, then moving to the Central Coast and Sydney and then Melbourne. So she's mostly making photographic work and video work at the moment that explores migrant narratives and identity through self-portraiture and her identity being pretty interesting as a third culture kid. So you also are the unofficial most enthusiastic South Sudanese fan of Cold Chisel, which is a worthy title to hold. Yep, and I and I hold on to that dearly, and it's <laughs> not a shame thing at all either. Okay, so our first track of the day is Cold Chisel, which is just not what I expected. Yeah. And um, why do you like Cold Chisel so much? Look, it's a funny story, I guess, in terms of like, just imagine little old me on the Central Coast with no other black kids around, and this kind of like very you know white Aussie culture around me and so I was like oh okay like this is what I'm about this is what I love I love cold chisel and I love pubs and I love pub rock (laughs) and like that's it like I just decided to embrace all of that because I wanted to fit in (laughs) as a little kid but then through like that decision I eventually kind of was like oh I actually really like this and I'm not faking it anymore yeah it's not a joke anymore (laughs) It's like fake it till you make it. Yeah, just one day you wake up and you're like, holy crap, I actually do like Cold Chisel. Totally. So which song do we have and why did you want to bring this one? So I chose Saturday Night because, um, I don't know, there's just something very Central Coast about it for me in terms of I can just imagine, you know, all the 18, 19 year olds going to the pub in like a Voca or maybe in um, Gosford or something. Just like having one too many beers and getting really pumped about their Saturday night and then going to the pub again. Like that <laughs> just that vibe and that kind of macho masculine boys on the Central Coast thing is what I get from it. So that's why I chose it. Can I tell you something really embarrassing? Yes. When I was young I thought it was cold cheesel. Aww. Like the chips. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to put the song on now. <laughs> Wallow in my embarrassment. Atonga Tem is my guest in Out of the Box today and he you've got cold cheesel. Saturday night 
Just your average day on FBI 94.5. Just spinning some cold chisel with my guest on Out of the Box today, Atonga Tem. Saturday night, kind of bangers you listen to around Gosford. Oh, it's, it's just chillin'. It's cultural, can I say. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, you're a South Sudanese Australian bogan. Yep. How does it feel? Well, it doesn't feel like anything because it's all I've known. Like, it's just a funny thing where my, I guess, my identity is such an intersection of so many different things. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until recently that I sort of established that maybe some of those things are, like, not the norm, yeah, (laughs) potentially. But, yeah, it is what I am. So you grew up on the Central Coast thinking that you were basically just kind of like everyone else and everyone had grown up like you had. Yeah, totally. I just, I I just, um, I guess I had no, uh, like, way to measure myself versus the people around me. And because I grew up, um, like, my family moved to the coast when I was six years old, like, came to Australia when I was six years old. Um, so I grew up with all the kids around. Like, we went to the, the... The people I went to primary school with were the people I went to high school with, were the people that I hung out with after. So I was just like them. Like, they grew up with me, so they didn't really see me as different. And I didn't 
question myself and my identity and the fact that I was like a black African person surrounded by all these white people in Australia. Do you remember the first time that you did actually question that? Yes, I do. (laughs) I tell this story a lot because I think it's both kind of like cute and sad or something. (laughs) But basically I was in year two and we had to draw family portraits in our class and everyone was drawing and I was drawing away and I'd drawn like my mum, my brothers, myself and it was this beautiful little scene with like a little sun in the corner and I was just colouring in like the skin of everyone and my teacher comes over and is like, um, why, why are you using the pink crayon to colour everyone in? And I was like, well, that's what everybody else is doing, like all these other kids are colouring in pink and she's like, honey, look at your skin. That's And I was like, oh... Yeah, right. Who would have thought you'd grown up to be an artist? Like, <laughs> couldn't even get my colours right. <laughs> but yeah, that was the first moment that I really, really realised that like, yes, I'm actually different to most of the people around me. And it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a difference and it's a difference that mm. I should acknowledge. And yeah. Yeah. When did you come on, like, I come into the term, like into contact with the term third culture kid? That's actually quite a recent term for me in terms of like the concepts around being a third culture person I've thought about for a long time. Um, and definitely like growing up and feeling like in some ways disconnected from my South Sudanese community here in Australia, just because I had grown up here, you know, my accent when I was speaking Dinka wasn't quite right. Um, and I had embraced so many, you know, Western things. And I say that in quotations. Um, but at the same time, I'm still a black girl in white Australia, so I can never be fully that. And so growing up, I was always like, oh, I'm somewhere in the middle and this is an uncomfortable place. Um, but then after I did my series of photographs and started talking about the concept of third culture kids and third culture identities is when that term was really attached to maybe my way of thinking and um, attached to the kind of art that I was making. Can we talk about those photos for a second? Sure. So for someone who has not seen them yet, can you describe a bit about what they look like? So I did um, a series of studio portraits that were inspired, I guess, by um, like colonial photography across you know the colonized world and specifically around Africa so there's kinds of ones where people are looking very seriously at the camera posing with their belongings totally and so we had I had like um Dutch wax print fabrics in the background and people were dressed in really elaborate vibrant clothes with like you know fake flowers everywhere like this really really um elaborate beautiful kind of setup um and yeah that was maybe an ode to that whole thing of um, colonised people taking on elements from the colonisers and mixing it in with their own cultural practices and identities and creating something new, which is totally what the third culture identity yeah. is, a third culture kid thing. And the people in the photos, they're your friends? They're all my friends. So all your back, black African friends <laughs> totally. who usually just go around wearing, like, I don't know, Adidas. Whatever. Yeah, and then <laughs> we, all we all got dolled up. Yeah. And I guess a big part of it as well was, um, like that concept of embracing your culture is a really funny thing to me because I feel like just by being someone from a culture that they recognise and identify with, they're always embracing it because it doesn't mean one thing. And so, yeah, we had all these different costumes on that were, you know, traditional outfits and whatever, but also, you know, people were wearing, like, sneakers in those pictures and, you know, had, like, Ray-Ban sunglasses on as well, like, just (laughs) little things that is, like, culture doesn't mean one particular thing. That's cool. Um... Actually, I'd like to talk about your style as a young lady before we go into the oh, song God. by Cannibal Ox. 
Uh, so this one's called the F word. And when when you're rocking out to this kind of stuff, what, what kind of a what kind of a kid were you? How old how old are you this time? Um, how old would I have been? Early high school, I guess, or maybe middle of high school. So maybe 15, 16 at the oldest. And this was the time when I was on the brink of forming my own identity um, and not feeling like I had to be whatever white meant to me. So at that time, like right before I started listening to Cannibal Ox and kind of having this little change, I was like wearing 1950s housewife outfits and I was listening to like really horrible metal and like some good punk, but mostly horrible metal. Oh my god, I wish I and, knew you when I was uh, that age. I, I would have thought you were the coolest person in I the world. I was a bit of a wreck. I just, well, <laughs> I mean, I was just a teenager, right? And I was yep. um, trying to form my identity. I remember I used to play lots and lots of video games. And so you just imagine, just visualize me as a 16 year old, 15 year old, wearing like a long, flouncy 50s dress with like too many flowers on it. And I probably had like a headband on or something. And I'm playing like Fallout or maybe GTA 4 or something. GTA 3. Wait, San Andreas. I would have been playing San Andreas. <laughs> and I'm listening to like Job for a Cowboy, like really disgusting horror, literally. And I'm just like sitting in the living room, like playing my games. And my mum's walking past, like shaking her head, like, you know, calling the priest to come and exercise me kind of thing. As in, did she actually do that? Not quite, but she did pray for me more than once. (laughs) She laid hands on me and, you know, tried to get that demon out of me. Um, Yeah, because I was just trying so hard to form an identity. Like I wasn't just liking things and picking things that I liked. I was trying to form an identity that yeah. wouldn't stereotype me. I think especially when you go, this thing is distinct and this thing does not go with that. Like totally. 50s garb and a job for a cowboy and just gen- generally heckers music I just, don't yeah. go together. So, I mean, you, you don't get questioned about that because people are just like, look, I can't even understand what you're totally. talking about. And there's no way that people can box me in when I won't let myself be boxed. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess leading into Cannibal Locks, I started listening to them through a friend who recommended them to me. And Leading up to that, I was like, no, I'm not going to listen to hip hop and I'm not going to be into that because that's too black and that's going to stereotype me and that's going to make people think these things about me. And then I listened to them and I was like, this is sick. I like this. <laughs> and out of the box, FBI 94.5, Atonga Tem is my guest today. It's like I care about you. I think about you all the time. Red pedals when we talk, the F word. 
She like music, got me heavily booted. When I'm out with her, feelings be mixing. Chemical elixirs, quarter like a sickness and can't get rid of it. The sexual addictions, handwritten in my opposite sex. Friendships with too many emotions, got me bent up in this real ill. With something going on, but nothing being said. Trying to figure it out, wrapped on in your head, just spit it out. Situation. I want my lust like cologne, she called it obsession The background's black and white and we adolescent Like what the fuck we know about love The more I learn it's like the clash of the titans All I wanna do is avoid fighting A little arguing's okay, but not every day And if we can't communicate, well we got the case Until the smell gets more pungent To the point where we can't be seen in public Body parts falling apart, a symbol of what things do Or better yet, a symbol of what friends do they Dying together forever just sounds fly That's how it sounded to me when I heard it The slow motion was her lips as she worded the F word Don't take it personal, I like you a lot But I don't wanna lose what we got But what we got now is friction She telling me intimacy and friendship She ain't mixing the F word She like music, got me heavily booted When I'm out with her Feelings be mixing, chemical elixirs, quarter like a sickness and can't get rid of it. The sexual addiction. You burning the candle at both ends. I'm supposed to be the friend. I'm getting fried in the end. The Big Bang Theory. What is this a trend? You ask a girl out and the universe extends. Tell me to talk to the hand again. And I'll read your palm. He's smelling your shit now. I don't know how to call now. Which one it was grounds for understanding. I ain't greedy, but to hold your heart, I gotta put my hand in. Why debate? You think you can fit me in that anorexic space between love and hate? I got all of the first one and none of the other. And that's something I learned from my sister and my mother. Thought we was close in the genesis before all this. Technology was cordless, senseless courtship. This is more than just a song. And when he's treating you wrong, I'm more than just a shoulder to cry like on. Out of the box. Meet people through their music on FBI. Ikiyereje kamogamuso dantera 
Song. What are we listening to at the moment? So we're listening to Alpha Blondie and the Solar System. Um, and Alpha Blondie is an artist who I, I guess I'll never stop listening to and is like pivotal, I guess, in my identity as a little kid um, because this is what I was brought up listening to. Like this music, and his music is like intensely, intensely political and intensely like um, reactive and very loud about politics and like angry things that have happened and what was what were the lyrics of that past song about so this song is kind of just an ode to god like i don't know the lyrics off by heart but i know that it's a song about god and about um the blessings that he's received from god and 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 how god is like you know looked after him throughout his life and it's just this beautiful like you know lullaby to god and god's glory um and it's it's just like the perfect representation of what I what I grew up with or what I what kind of influence I influences I had as a little kid um was incredibly political very intense kind of music and messages from my family that was also incredibly religious at the same time and it's yeah. sort of like the two were inseparable like there's this concept or this idea I guess of um like these horrible political things happen and we're aware of them and we want to talk about them and the only way we can get through them is with God, with God's love and God's grace and that's just 
you know, what my so whole poli- upbringing yeah. was. Yeah. So through times of severe upheaval, upheaval, politics and religion start to intersect more? Absolutely. Yeah, they come together more because I guess um, when you experience really horrible things at the hands of, you know, governments and people in authority, you can't turn to authority to help you. You have to turn to a higher power. Otherwise, you kind of lose... Um, I guess, faith in humanity, if you you know what I mean? Like, there has yeah. to be something above humanity that can, I don't know, excuse or make sense of the horrible things on, and, and help you find an exit out of them. Otherwise, you feel completely lost. If Absolutely. everyone above you is messing up, there then needs to be a divine power. Absolutely. And that is, yeah, that's my family in a nutshell. Um, yeah, like, we grew up um, watching the news and being aware of the things that were going on in uh, in Sudan and in Kenya when we lived there. And all of that was never hidden from us. It's like, it's, I feel like there's this thing that happens or that I notice in Australia, like when I was growing up here, that like kids weren't allowed to watch the news because that's too violent, that's too real for them. Absolutely. Whereas it was a complete opposite for us. It was like, these are the things that are happening around you. These are the things happening in your country and in countries around the world. But did you find that traumatising at all to be exposed to that as a young person? I guess you wouldn't have had a, a really a choice because it was so focal. But right. do you, would you recommend that Australian kids are allowed to watch the news? I think so. I mean, I, it's totally you know up to kids' parents to decide what they should and shouldn't do. I mean, there's certain things that I wouldn't. Um, like, I feel like violence imagery maybe isn't the best thing to show a child but um like having an awareness of what's happening around you and having an awareness of the fact that bad things do happen and the world is not amazing and perfect at all times and I think I think because that leads to kids questioning or it led to me questioning like oh why do these things happen and like what can I do to help um and having that curiosity about um the reality of the world around you as a young person Mm -hmm. really influences how you think about the world as an older adult or as a you know older young person um so so it'd be good to sorry yeah go on i guess it'd be good to have a bit of an idea about your childhood because you were born in a refugee camp so yeah and and your your mother would have got there quite a bit quite a long time earlier than you and you kind of sometimes you think that life doesn't really go on in refugee camps people don't like have marriages and make plans and have families mm. but when you're there for so long you do so um and your mum would have told you that story so where yeah. did it start for her when did she have to start leaving where she was from well it was actually the like I was born in Ethiopia um and then I guess things weren't great <laughs> I'll say that but um things got worse specifically about, I don't know, a few weeks after I was born. And that's when my family had to flee to Kenya, to the refugee camp there in Kakuma. Um, And we were there for a few years and there's lots of people that lived there and continue to live in places like that. Like there are people that still live there now. Um, And it's just interesting. Actually, I saw um, a little documentary recently about the Kakuma refugee camp, which is where we lived. Um, And this was released just this year. And it's talking about um, the lives of the people there and how people are starting up businesses there and people are, like, creating these in- intricate, wonderful, like, happy lives there Yeah. Um, to the point where people in that area who aren't refugees, who just sort of lived there before the refugees arrived, have started to, like, be a bit envious of the lives <laughs> of the refugees. To move into the, the neighbourhood. Yeah, like, is, literally. Yeah. And, I, and I find that that's a really interesting thing, like, just that, I don't know, I guess it's, like when things are bad, you have no choice but to, to make do. And I feel like that's a thing that um, that I see in a lot of people I know who have been through, like, traumatic experiences or have been through, you know, political strife and turmoil and all of that. There's this, like, 
you you don't just stop to feel sorry for yourself. You don't mm. just stop to to tell the world like look at all these things that I'm going through. People kind of have this inbuilt sense of we have to just persevere. We have to keep going, and that's a big thing that um, definitely my mum talks about a lot. And my mum has pushed a lot. And I don't know. I guess having brought, being brought up in Australia without so much of that turmoil, maybe I don't have that perseverance. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know. Oh. I don't know. I feel like your very, very early life still might have an effect on you in ways that you don't understand. Because you moved here when you were, was it five? I was, yeah, six when I came six, here. Six, yeah. So, I mean, you still didn't have kind of, you know, it's not like you were spending your time in a cot in the nursery and then people coming in, kissing your head and then yeah, just totally. kind of like sitting you in front of the TV or anything like that. I mean, within weeks of you being born, you had to move. Yeah, absolutely. What was that situation? Well, uh, I guess it was war there was a war happening like um and basically when I say we had to move or leave Ethiopia people like in their thousands walked on foot from Ethiopia to Kenya like you know months and months and experienced lots of intense things um which my mum talks about every now and then um but just in such a casual nonchalant way that is like kind of whoa like disarming yeah yeah. really because I mean, she talks about, um, you know, seeing lots of really horrible things and... Um, like what? Like, uh, she, there's one story that she told me about. Um, there was, like, a, a boat that they had to cross to get to the other side of this river. And she was with um, me and my two older brothers, who would have been, I don't know, maybe three or four at the time, and um, some other family members. And she was like, we need to get on this boat. And the person on the boat is like, no, no, no. Like, it's full. You can't get on. And it's like, the next boat isn't until, like, two days from now or something. What are we going to do? We need to get to the other side of the river. And this is, like, a very intense situation where, like, you can't stay in one space for too long because there's, um, you know, guerrilla soldiers and all kinds of people around that you don't you don't want to know that – you don't want them to know that you're there. Um, anyway, and I remember – and she talks about how, you know, she couldn't get on the boat and she was really worried for our safety and – she was really afraid and then she started to pray and she was like, God, please just like let us onto this boat. Um, and then the boat left and we didn't get on the boat, but not long after it left, they saw it sinking. And so it's just this situation where it was like, oh my God, like, whoa. Um, and my mom uses those stories often to like, you know, try and convince me to like, you know, go to church with her and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just see it as this like, this is something that you've, you've survived these things. Like you've, you've experienced these really intense things and you've survived and you're an incredible, amazing woman, maybe because of it or, or despite of it, you know? And I don't know, I just see it as this like, what would I do in that situation, <laughs> you know? And I feel like I'd probably run and hide. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been back to, well, not back to, because you never were as a young kid in South Sudan. You've yeah. been to South Sudan to catch up with family. Yeah. What's it like, what was it like in the days when you were there? It was amazing. It was really incredible. Um, I went in 2011, like just took some time off uni and decided to go to South Sudan for a little while. Um, And it was, I don't know, I guess to relate it back to my art practice in some ways, there's this interesting thing that happens where my ideas of what Sudan is like come from my parents and their experiences. But when I went there, it was nothing like what they had told me. It wasn't as conservative as they had told me. It wasn't as um, like a, a, as rural. Like there was just so many things about it that were so different. And I find that there's this that I guess that's an interesting thing where my parents were there, you know, more than twenty years ago, and things have changed in the last twenty years. And they sort of their cultural identity is is maybe you know 
a little bit further back than the cultural identity of most people in South Sudan now. So there was like a dual culture shock in terms of I expected what my parents told me and I also expected it to be different to my experiences here, but it was none of that. Like it was completely, you know, culture is not stagnant and culture yeah. evolves, you know? You had to discover it anew. Absolutely. And now we've got a track to take from Spoke Mathumbo. How'd you find out about this guy? So when I was on my way to South Sudan, I stopped over in South Africa for a little while and just like had the sickest time. It was amazing and I loved it so much. And um, I guess Spoke's music was being played a little bit around then and that was the first time I was introduced to it and it just sort of like especially this song it really like epitomizes my experience when I went on that trip around Africa and like being with my family and this sort of like uniting thing where um like my my sister who I had never met before my older sister like cried and we cried together when we saw each other for the first time and it's just this weird connection I didn't know you had an older sister yeah I've got this Can older you? she's a half sister um and she's got a beautiful son now but yeah, I met her for the first time and met all these family members for the first time and my grandfather for the first time. And we just sort of, it was like we didn't know each other, but we so knew each other. This sort of like, I don't know, surreal connection that binds us, that is, I guess, family and that is blood and that is culture and all these connections that I can't really put into words. And so this song stuck together just brings me back there and it reminds me of that and that's why I chose it.
You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI 94.5. My guest in the studio today is Atong Atem. And who was that that we were just listening to there? It was very, very mild and beautiful. That was Willis Earl Beale. Kind of sad, though, too. Yeah. And why do you want to bring this one on? Just to bum everyone out a little bit? A little Make bit. Make feel sad, eat I, a lot of ice cream? I feel like we talked about too much positivity, yeah. haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that song makes me think about um, just times that I've had specifically recently in, where I've just felt completely like dislocated and disassociated and all kinds of things. And just um, that that thing that happens when you kind of deny yourself a space to look after yourself maybe because you're busy and you're doing lots of things and you're kind of you know putting all your energy out there as opposed to you know that beautiful balance between like putting your energy out there and bringing your energy inwards to look after yourself like doing as a way of being but not actually being able to be absolutely yeah and I think yeah I guess it's a thing that happens with lots of creatives I think it's a thing that happens with lots of people of color who are like you know struggling with the fact that they live in a world that's not for them. It happens with lots of people who just don't fit into the world mm-hmm. comfortably. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess it's funny because I speak a lot or talk a lot with people and, um, you know, at poetry events and whatever about self-care and how important that is. Um, but also often forget that it's such a, like, it's not easy. Like, we yeah. can talk about self-care and talk about looking after yourself. Um but it's work, like self, it should be like self-work as opposed to self-care because it's a difficult thing to do. And yeah, like just being caught up in, in moments where I haven't like maybe done as much self-work as I could have and then just what feeling... What is it though? I mean, it's, is self-care slash self-work the act of just kind of being able to switch off and stop actually working and then just take care of yourself? Like what is what is it to you? Um, I guess it's a lot of things to me. For me, self-care is like giving myself permission to clock off every now mm. and then. Actually, I was thinking of making an app yesterday that is actually called Clock Off. It's funny that you said that. <laughs> and, it's, you know, you actually press a button at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day it starts timing, you know, what you're doing. And when you walk away from it, you hit clock off. So it's kind of like that little reward of being able to say, like, I am stopping working now. I'm not going to yeah. think about that for a bit. Because otherwise, you know, you go get a bowl of muesli and you sit back down at the computer and eat it. And that's not your off time. Mm-hmm. It's just everything blurs together into a wind of work and then it's 11pm and you're still doing something totally. on your laptop. Yeah. I feel like it needs to be like an active decision that like you have to actively say okay I'm taking time off or I'm taking this moment to look after myself I mean for me self-care just means like um allowing myself to just think about the things that maybe I need to feel good or feel happy or feel chilled out or whatever mm. and so usually that's like I will sit on my bed and watch Netflix for a really long time and like feel okay about it and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because it's self-care but it's so much more than that as well I think that it's also like giving yourself that acknowledgement that things aren't easy and like acknowledging that you're not you're not um you know you're not a lazy person or whatever it is like you your experiences are real and your experiences are valid yeah and you're allowed to struggle it kind of sounds like what you know and in mindfulness and stuff like that what they say is you know check in with yourself yeah and just kind of (laughs) That's what it's, it's kind of what it sounds like. But um, with that, Will, Ellis, Will, Willis L. Beale, he's got a very difficult name to he manage. He does. Willis Earl Beale track, Nobody Knows. You said it was actually kind of uh, linked to a dissociation experience. It was yeah. quite like a market moment in time for you. Totally. What was happening there? Where were you? So <laughs> I think it's funny because um, I ended up writing a poem about it, which I recited in a few different places. So like a lot of people will who have heard this poem will kind of remember that moment. 
um, basically I was um, I was at uni at RMIT and then I just felt kind of out of it and just like left at class and like was walking through the city just confused like had no idea what was going on and then um, I ended up at there's this like bridge that combines Melbourne Central shopping mall with the Emporium shopping mall in Melbourne and there's this like it's just this walkway bridge with like a yellow seat and I was just sitting on this yellow seat just sort of like having this experience and like writing down all this stuff and like talking about feeling like I was wearing like a big coat made out of wet clay and like having this weird feeling like a ghost and nobody could see me and I was just having this experience and I didn't know what was going on and lots of lots of hand gestures right now so many hand (laughs) gestures because it's so beyond words (laughs) yeah but um yeah I just had this really full-on experience and I'm glad I wrote about it because I would have just forgotten about it I think Mm -hmm. um and then you know later on kind of putting the pieces together and establishing that that was like a dissociative episode or whatever. Um, and it's like a thing that people experience. As in like a psychological thing totally. that you could talk to a professional about Absolutely. and they would diagnose it as you had a di- uh, dissociative experience. Yeah, totally. And it's like there's this like spectrum of um, of that kind of experience and I guess mine was quite a mild thing. But it was, um, I think that was like the catalyst for me going to you know seek professional help which to me like culturally and in my family that's such a thing like where if almost not quite but almost like um if you need outside help in terms of like you know your mental health and your okayness then you're not very strong are you like that kind of thing Mm. which is it's a subtle thing that exists I guess culturally for me um but then I was like you know what forget this forget the cultural ideas I'm just gonna go seek help and then um talked to my doctor about it and they were like oh yeah all of this stuff is like yeah textbook yep 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 it's all normal and real and whatever and like you know getting a diagnosis a diagnosis of PTSD was really like oh my goodness this is a big deal this is such a thing but it's not it's not necessarily a big thing. I think you know? it's a it's a broad spectrum it can be a Absolutely. huge thing it can stop you from living life properly as you in, know as as you yeah but as in like um it's not it's not such a bad thing, you know? It's not such a bad thing to, like, come to terms with things that are going on and be like, okay, let me self-care. Let me look after myself. Yeah, and that song, that Willa Sell Bill song, really kind of represents that moment in time for me, that kind of in-between, unsure of, like, what's going on? I'm just a bit of a weirdo kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we've got a track from Nina Simone. When yes. I was a young girl. Yeah. And why do you want to bring this one? I, yeah, I guess um, it links to that previous track, pretty well in that there was a time when I was a teenager where I was having these experiences and like just having all these dreams about like you know like I was about to die any minute and I just had this like really intense (laughs) feeling about it and I just sort of was like okay cool like now I know that what was happening in the dreams just it was it really links into this song really well because it was these dreams of like um which I thought were really beautiful and I tried to like paint them and draw them and talk about them um, and it was just basically like my body being like wrapped up in cotton and then like carted away into like the river sticks or something. Um, and this song lyrically kind of, there's a bit in it talking about like the, the person's body being wrapped up and like taken away because of like the plague or something. Cause I think it's about the plague or something like that. And I remember listening to this song and being like, oh, that's totally my dream. Like, how cool is this? And feeling super connected (laughs) to Nina Simone. Mm. I was, look, I was listening to Job for a Cowboy as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know, dark. (laughs) Totally. But yeah, and I felt so connected to Nina Simone. I was like, yeah, we've got this spiritual connection. (laughs) Just loving it. (laughs) Love it. I did it for a while. I did it for a while. 
I was a young girl, I used to see pleasure. When I was a young girl, I used to see pleasure. When I was a young girl, I used to drink ale Right out of the alehouse and into the jailhouse Right out of the barroom and down to my grave Come mama, come papa and sit you Beside me, come, Mama, come, Papa, and pity my case. My poor head is aching, my heart is breaking. My body's salvated and hell is my home Go sin for the preacher Come and pray for me Go sin for the doctor To heal up my wounds My poor head is aching My heart, it is breaking My body's self-hated And I'm bound to die I'm bound to die I'm bound Have won three young ladies to bear up my coffin. I won three young ladies to take me Put on my body as I pass along <laughs> One morning One morning in May One morning one morning in May, I spied this young lady All clad in white linen, all clad in white linen And cold as a clay When I was a young girl, I used to see pleasure 
When I was a young girl, I used to drink ale Right out of the alehouse and into the jailhouse Right out of the barroom into the jailhouse Right out of the barroom into the jailhouse And then down, down to my really cool thanks for bringing that one on atong atem that is a favorite and who is this that is a track by gonja sufi produced by um flying, gas- Lo- flying lotus flying lotus yeah. yeah i was gonna say gas lamp but yeah totally flying lotus <laughs> that one was called ancestors and it was yes. all souk truck especially if you listen to it really loud with a hectic good bass yeah which we, we just did dancing to it. <laughs> And uh, we're almost at our last song of the show, but first I'd like to actually ask you a little bit about a 
exhibition that you're being going to be a part of on yes. my birthday. Oh, so on the 27th of November, yeah. so I can remember the date, um, you are doing something at, was it First Draft Gallery? Yeah, there's an exhibition slash party being curated by Justin Shoulder that's happening there. And um, so I'm going to be there showing work, Rainbow Chair, Eugene Choi, Jack Mannix, and Justin Shoulder will probably do something amazing as well for it. And that's going to be at First Draft, and it's going to be amazing. And can you talk a little bit about the work that you'll have showed there? Totally. So I've got um, three video works that I will project in the space, Um, and it's, I guess, about everything that I ever make any art about, which is like... Um, personal identity and you know my personal narrative and exploring that through self-portraiture and so I've got like um, there's I guess one of the video works is me in kind of white face um, doing this um, miming to a song like an 80s track another one is like this kind of melty dark scanned thing and then my favorite one is me on Google Earth exploring the different places that I've lived in in Australia and my face is there and there's a beautiful Celine Dion track on there because I really like Celine Dion. (laughs) (laughs) You have impeccable taste. Oh, look, what can I say? Thank you for sharing with us at this hour as we kicked off with Cold Chisel or Cold Chisel as I like to call them. You're all very welcome for that. (laughs) So now our last track is Nothing of the Sort. Mm -hmm. We've got Erica Badu. Yes, we do. Good way to end a show. So which track did you want to bring on and why? So I chose Didn't You Know because that is probably my favourite Erica Badu track and it makes me think of my best friend who really loves it and living in all the different places and great times that I had. And also because Erica Badu is the first person that I remember having a big crush on. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that's important to me. <laughs> Did, were you one of those people who like listened to Erica Badu and then went to the family, like the, the home printer, and just Google image searched and just printed well, no, I didn't print. I should have done that. I just like looked at <laughs> images of her and tried to like dress like her and like perfect my headscarves uh, yeah. and my long skirts and See, all of that. You be you make yourself the shrine to Erica <laughs> rather than making an actual shrine. I feel like you just read me. That's great. <laughs> well, just let's take that track then. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really Thanks enjoyed for it. Having Atong. me. So Atonga Tem, you can see her work at Ouroboros at First Draft Gallery on the twenty seventh of November. I'll be there. You'll be there. Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> Thank you. 